If you'll open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6, which is page 807 in uh, the Bible in the seat in front of you. We're in a study in Romans. Uh, we're moving from Romans chapter 5 through Romans chapter 8. And in this study, uh, we're examining what life looks like now that it's in Christ. So if the first several chapters of Romans describes what salvation is, what it means that Jesus saves us, and, and what that is, um, we migrate in 5 through 8 into the question of, well, if we are Christians... What does that mean? How do we live now? How do we walk in newness, as the title is? And last week we started a question, which is going to be repeated uh, this week, uh, about what's the point of even living, doing good things if Jesus saves us? And as a way of uh, beginning to think about this morning, I want you to imagine you're a child, and... You were told not not to go play in the woods, but there were things you wanted to do in the woods, and so you took off, and you have gone into the woods, and it's getting dark, and it is dark, and there's monsters, R-O-U-S's, rodents of unusual size. Some of you don't get that, and I'm a child of the 80s, but you're there. And it's not completely dark, okay? It's not completely dark. It's kind of dark. I don't know if I, this is not, certainly not scientific. It's 50% dark. Uh, it would feel like uh, an hour after sunset or an hour before sunrise. At which point I'll ask you, does it matter if you're a child in the woods with monsters does it matter to you if it's an hour after sunset or if it's an hour before sunrise? It doesn't look any different. Like in the moment, it's identical. It's an identical moment. The, the momentary environment of an hour after sunset in deadly dark woods that you've headed into in an hour before the sun comes up where you can begin to journey out of these woods, in the moment, it doesn't look any different. But to the person there, it's all the difference. In one sense, they're heading deeper into darkness. In another sense, they're coming out into the light. In my life, uh, I headed into the woods at 11. I saw some images um, that I was no one's supposed to see, but I saw them. And whew, they pulled me in. Um, I was never the same. And like crack cocaine, I was invited into a world that is totally uninviting, and I went deeper, and I went deeper into the woods. And I had this vision. So, And I grew up in the church, in a stable Christian home, with, uh, in the faith. I mean, the Lord, I cannot remember a time where the Lord and the Spirit have not been noticeably at work on me. Um, so I don't need to like undo the theological, theological spaghetti of that. I just know what happened. And there was a significant part of my life where I was heading deeper into the woods. And I had this vision, not like a religious vision, like a, your dream, what you want life to look like. 
I had this dream of what things would be like after college. And they involved an apartment in, that I could have for myself where I could do the things that I've been dreaming of. That was my dream. I even, to this day, can remember the shape of the room in my dream. That is not my dream now. It's not my dream. And I will find, on any given day, you might, God might take a snapshot of my life and say, there's darkness there. But it's not an hour after sunset. It's something. You know, God has come, and in my life, there's, I'm explaining this to you because this morning we're going to get into, we're starting to meander into the question of, if I know this is how I'm supposed to live, why do I not live like this all the time? And as we're meandering into that question, I'm going to say, it doesn't matter so much what the moment looks like. It matters where we're headed. Are we coming out of the woods or are we going into the woods? And I can say this, this morning, even on a dark day, the sun is on its way up in my life. That's as much as you're ever going to get from a pastor, so take it. Uh, all right. We're going to have a few questions this morning uh, that we're going to ask. Uh, what is your guiding vision in your life? What's your dream? That's going to tell you a lot about who you are. What are you dreaming for? Okay? I want to, I'm going to offer that to you in several different ways. Uh, because I have a love for you, and God has a love for you, and if you can know yourself honestly, that's a starting point. What, what's your dream? All right? Who do you long to serve? It's another way of thinking of that. When you get out of bed, and you put your feet on the floor, and the new batch of thoughts begin to kind of roll into your mind of the day, where are they headed? I mean, anyone who's ever dealt with addiction knows what I'm talking about. When those feet hit the floor, which set of questions are now putting themselves at your feet? What are you scheduling? What is the preoccupation that immediately shows up? What's your guiding vision? That's the first question. Second question is alongside of it, which is why have you come to Jesus? I want you to ask that. What I will offer is, as we go through the word, as you arrive in a place where you go, this is what the Bible says, but this is not how I feel, there's a good chance, there's a chance that you've come to Jesus the wrong way, and that's why things don't work right. You came for something else. So why have you come to Jesus is, is a helping question along the way. Last week, the question, this was the question that was posed. It's the same as this week. Paul is anticipating thoughtful people in Rome who, when the real gospel is really given, will have an opposing spirit to it, saying, well, if Jesus does all the saving, and if Jesus gives us grace now in which we can stand now, then what's the point of moral living? If everything's grace then why live right? That was the question that came last week. It sounded like this, chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. Now you're going to get essentially the same question this morning. 
And last week, the way Paul described it is he, he encouraged you and me to recollect what Jesus had done. And in our recollection of what Jesus had done, to partner ourselves with it, to realize that we share in that. So he defended the argument last time when they said, well, what is, can we just, if we have all this grace, can we just go on and live whatever life we want? He said, of course not. He said, don't you realize that Jesus died for your sins? That on account of your sinfulness and your debasement, Jesus gave his, willingly gave his life up. And when we say that he died in our place, we participate in that. We're unified in that. Look at your baptism, he said. That was last week. How can you, how can you participate in the life of Christ and make nothing of sin when the central act of his, in his life for you was his death for your sin? And he goes on to say, likewise, just as he's resurrected... If we partner with him in his death, ought we not have an expectation to partner with him in his new life? To walk in a newness of life? That was Jesus's, or that was Paul's intention, was to say, should we live well? He says, of course we should live well. Envision what Christ has done for you and how you partner with that. How can you not live well? That's what he did last week. This week, he turns the light away from Jesus a little bit and on to ourselves. So last week was, look at what Jesus has done. This week is, look at who you are and answer the question. And he's going to use the image of a slave. So let me read 15 and 16. 15 will pass through. Um, you should see it as a repetition and large part of last week. And then we'll We'll spend our time in 16. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. I'm going to read 16 again. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Now, there's, a few, there's two things I want to spend our, our time on here in the 16th verse. The first one is this nagging little phrase that begins with, if you present yourselves as obedient slaves... The image is consistently here of an obedient slave. Did you notice that? The image is always of an obedient slave, a hard-working slave that is working for their master. That's the image. It's not an image of a good slave and a bad slave. It's the image of an obedient slave. In other words... You're being obedient to something. Let me say it this way. Paul's planting the seed in our mind uh, for the sinfully unchanged heart that maybe you're not a weak Christian. Maybe you're an obedient slave to sin. So I'll ask it that way. Is it possible? 
Now, the category, let me, let me pause for a second. The category of slave and master here is a limited category. It's an imperfect image. In the 19th verse, Paul's going to say, I'm speaking in human terms because of your limitations. So this is a flawed image to explain all of the faith. He's not trying to explain all of the faith this way. It's, it's a little bit obtuse to hold everything. He's using this image to emphasize one thing, which is you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. You're one or the other. And the image is a good slave. Meaning, you're either willingly serving sin. You're either heading into the woods and into the dark, or you're coming out of the woods. You're not really coming out poorly. You're an obedient slave to sin or you're an obedient slave to righteousness. I, I want to, I there's the truth here, so I want to say it enough. We could qualify it. I know there's immature Christians and mature Christians. I know we trip and fall. I know we slip and slide. I know all of those things. We're going to talk about sanctification. So I know there's a process of becoming holy and all of these things, but it's worth just appreciating the image of here is people are either a good slave to sin or they're a good slave to God. I wonder, you know, I, as I stepped back from that teaching and I was wrestling with it, this is what I realized. I realized that the church typically works very, very hard to encourage people that they're just a weak Christian instead of an obedient slave to sin. And the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible doesn't seem to spend a lot of time giving you confidence that you're just a really weak, backslidden Christian the Bible usually doesn't have that patience. The, usually the Bible says, no, you're a slave to sin. You're being a very obedient slave to sin. We've created this massive third category for all of us, which is not a good slave to a good master. And I'm just wondering what market share of that is really a good slave to a bad master. That's what, I'm, that's what I want you to see. I want to afford you the freedom to ask an honest question. Are you a growing, obedient slave of righteousness who's on his way out of the woods? Or are you an obedient slave to sin? What are you really? Because here, they're both good slaves. You're either a slave to the one you obey, either to sin which leads to death. In other words, he's... People are being obedient to sin. They're being obedient to the law of disobedience. Or they're being obedient to a life that leads to righteousness. This is where, you know, one thing that uh, non-believers have over us is the fact that they don't have to do good stuff. I mean, that's like the one, like we don't have to follow the rules. There is something attractive about that. Still in me, I feel that, the tattoo-ness of life. I'll just go get one. I like that. I mean, there's something in me that there's freedom in that. The truth is, not really that free. You're free in that regard. So you're free in not doing the right things, but you're not free in not doing wrong things. You're an obedient slave to sin. If you're here and you're not a believer and you're like, the reason I'm not a believer is because I don't want to follow the rules, well, I, I, I get that. That's not the way to become a believer. But I'll say this, but you can't walk out of here 
and stop breaking the rules. You try it. I tried it. You try to grab your three bad habits and kick them, and then call me. You're a slave to sin. We are obedient. When you get out of the bed in the morning and you put your feet on the floor, we're always praying to one of our masters, what's the prayer sound like? That's the first thing I want you to see. The second thing I want you to see is it's an either-or environment. We're either serving this master or we're serving this master. That's what the scripture says. We're either. He says, I want you to imagine this vision. If you've presented yourself as an obedient slave. So he says, buy into the vision for a second, okay, the, the picture. If you present yourself as an obedient slave, you're either a slave to this master or you're a slave to this master. It's an either-or environment. In this image, there is no third category. There is no freeman. God has not freed you from slavery to sin just to be free. God bought you at a great price. That's what's happened. You have transitioned from one master to another master. That's the image. You have not been Spartacus out of slavery. You don't have the strength to do it, and there's no free environment for you. That's an unsafe environment for you. You're going to fall right back into slavery right again. This is the image I want you to think. You ever see, and moms, it's usually moms, so I'll just say it this way. They have an infant who's hitting that uh, 9, 10, 11, 12 months, so they're squirmy because they can crawl. So you know how it is. You try to hold them, and they don't want to be held. They might have a word, and that word is like, my, my. So, but the poor mom wants to visit with the other mom. And there's a set of stairs over there. So the squirm, the squirm. So the mom's visiting, and she sets the child down while she's visiting with the mom. What does the child do? Right back over. Right over the stairs, right? And you can tell the mom. The mom knows because the mom, as you visit, she leans. And then she nods like this and does the right cross over the left. And while she's keeping eye contact with the other mom, she's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And she picks the child up, and she comes back. And she, about 20 feet, it's about a 30-second conversation. She puts the child down, uh-huh, uh-huh, and she does this. And they, a mom can do this for a long amount of time. That's not what God has done for us. That's not what God, God has not grabbed us out of slavery with an unchanged heart and simply displaced us 30 feet from peril and let dusts us off and keeps visiting. That is not the picture. You are either a slave to that or you are a slave to that. There is no third category. When God talks about freedom, he's not talking about freedom from everything. He's talking about freedom from death. You're still his. I'm going to stop here, and this is a good place to say, why did you come to Jesus? Because if he came the wrong way, this will feel brackish. This will feel not quite right. Kind of right and kind of not right. What I'm saying is if you came to religion because it was a good moral code, then the idea that you're a slave to God is unattractive because you don't want that. Or if you came to Christianity for self-improvement or for... Um, a gospel of gain or a gospel of healing. 
If you came to be healed, you'll leave. Read all of the Gospels. That's what most people did. They got healed and they left. Because that's not how we're to come in that sense. So if you're sitting here where the idea of being freed from sin is attractive, but the idea of being enslaved to God, him being our master, is unattractive, I want to say maybe it's because you came the wrong way. Maybe you need to, like it used to be said in my home, you need to re-come back. You need to go away and re-come back. Because there is no third category. You belong to some master. Now, by this point, uh, there's a meddlesome question that I think begins to arise in people's minds and I think would have arised in the listeners' minds, which is, you know, Paul said, works are of no value to bring us to salvation. Plus, he said that grace abounded in our lives now. Grace superabounded over anything we might have done. So grace is always there to forgive us, which proffered the question, if grace is everywhere we look and if grace does everything, well, then why do we need to do anything for God? Which is when he's in the middle of this question, and now here he's saying, don't you realize that you're either an obedient slave to sin or you're an obedient slave to obedience or God? And the moment that that message comes back on us, There's a temptation to bring it back on us with the cumbersome feeling of the oppression of the rules again. As though now I need to begin to slave away at doing right things. Like here it is again. I knew it really is not that different of a message, you might think to yourself. So we don't have to do anything good. And then Paul says, well, sure, you're obviously going to do, you're going to serve one master. And you're like, well, there it is. I'm a slave again. I'm back in. This is not, listen to 17. He's, he is rejoicing. Somewhere in this argument, rather than kind of being bogged down, he's brought to a place of rejoicing. Look at 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed And 18, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. But thanks be to God, he says. You see, when we read this, sometimes we begin to immediately grade ourselves. We're such graders. You know, even my question for you is, who's your master's (laughs) grading? The question for him was really, is there any cause to even live a righteous life? That's the question he's answering, to which he says, of course there's a cause. Don't you realize that when we claim that God is our, God is our Lord, that he becomes our master, and then we, by virtue, then begin to be obedient to him? And out of that comes worship. Thanks be to God, he says. And, and there should be worship here. To a believer... Once a slave to sin and no more, this is a moment of worship. You, this is what I want to encourage you. If you're in a life where you have bad days, don't let those moments cause you to doubt. The question is, who's your master? Who's your master? Where are you going? What's your vision? What's, What's your vision of home look like? What's your vision of work look like? And if, God is, if, if God's guiding that, 
Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Clearly, I want you to be able to see, without you being overly critical of a moment or of an incident or of tripping or falling or whatever it is, of being overly critical of that, I want you to step back and try to examine, what's the dream of your heart? Did you even see it there in 17? The order of things, but thanks be to God that you were once slaves to sin, but you have become obedient. How? From the heart to a standard of teaching to which you are committed. In other words, the Lord has changed our heart about himself. So there used to be a set of rules. If I could just do those rules, I'll be righteous. That's been done away with. Now, because God has rescued us from sin, now we look at the standard of teaching about the Lord, the true things about the Lord, and we have a heart like David's in the 119th Psalm. This says, I meditate on your statutes all day long. Your words are like life to me. Your commands nourish me. That is because he's had a change in the heart. So the things about God are now attractive to him. Are the things of God attractive to you? Eighteen reminds us, by the way, that Jesus has done it. So in case you're getting like, oh, now I need to do these things, 17 and 18, put all of that back on the back burner. Look at what God has done. You were slaves of sin. You've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to, you, to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you've become slaves of righteousness. Jesus Christ has set you free. And because of the change in your heart, which the Lord was at work with, you're now a slave to righteousness. Meaning you're binned now. You're, when the feet hit the floor, your thinking now is a God-glorifying thinking. And if you're saying, well, my thinking isn't a God-glorifying thinking, well, then I'm That's where I think it's a useful question to say, you're either a good slave to sin or you're a good slave to Christ. Maybe a little bit of honesty is helpful. Nineteen is, uh, it builds on this. Okay, he first he gives his qualifier. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. But listen to this. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So I want to begin in a place we're familiar with. You once, this is what Paul does, you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, okay, So you give yourself over to things that are impure, which leads to lawlessness, which does what? Leads to greater lawlessness. We know this. We know that pattern. You give yourself to something little, which leads to bona fide sin, which leads to sinful habits. You see the progression there? You're attracted to do something not right, which breeds in your spirit a spirit of rebellion which contributes to an ever-deepening life of rebellion. You're being a good slave to sin. That's the starting point. Notice, notice, the opposite picture has the same spirit about it. Now, present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Leading to sanctification. So now we turn, okay, now that our our orientation is different, now that our heart is obedient, our heart is obedient before our hands, now that our heart is obedient, 
Now we commit our members to righteousness, and it does, it's the, the phrase here is it leads to sanctification, which is a process phrase, leading to sanctification. In fact, the word sanctification is itself a word that has process. The Greek there is, uh, speaks of an ongoing process. You couldn't tra- it would be wrong to translate this word as something you reach or attain. It's the ending of the word is to give an open-endedness in life. So if this is, you commit your members to righteousness, which lead to a lifelong progression of holiness. I'm saying Paul, Paul and God know how it really feels. Paul and God know that when we are converted, when our heart, the weather vane of our heart, is rescued from this master of sin and brought into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the son he loves, when that happens, when we are redeemed and brought in, that our heart wants to do what's right before we're able to fully do what we ought to do. But that that turn that turn leads to a life of progressively leading towards holiness. Which brings me back to the question. What's your vision? What, where are you heading? Are you heading into the woods? Are you heading out of the woods? When I used to go to you know, trips with the guys in the squadron, you know, something that, I don't know if my dad said it, some dad said it. It's true. You know, nothing good happens after midnight. You ever hear that? There really is fewer true stings than that. Okay? Nothing good happens after midnight. Something chemically happens in the dark. And uh, you can tell when the weather vane of a heart is shifted because it wants to do dinner at 5 catch a movie, and be in bed by midnight. And there was invariably in our squadron two vans that would cross in the night. The van on the way home and the van just getting started. Which van are you in? Like, you should know. I'm not asking you if you're perfectly obedient all the time. I'm not asking to take a snapshot of you standing in a dark forest and trying to judge that moment. I'm saying, are you heading towards the daylight? Or are you heading deeper into the darkness? That's the question. All right, 20 through 23. I'll read them together. They create this, uh, it's, it's a beautiful picture, I think. Paul is going to give uh, this teaching. And he's going to say, everybody's a slave somehow. Everybody's free somehow. The difference is the fruit. Okay? Everybody's a slave somehow. Everybody's free somehow. The difference is the fruit. Okay, look at 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness, right? The rebels, they don't got to follow the rules. And they get cool points for it. When you were slaves to sin, you were free in regards to righteousness, he says. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things to which you're now ashamed? Think back, sinners. Think back to the fruit of those days. I hope there's change. Do you remember the shame? Do you remember the emptiness? Do you remember the loneliness? 
man. That's what he's saying. He's saying, recollect. Recollect the fruit. The fruit of those days led to shame. And he says, and this shame leads to death. For the end of those things is death. Is that what you want? But 22, now listen to the slavery and the freedom and the fruit of the new man. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, you see the freedom and the slavery there? You're free from sin, free from the power of sin, and you're slaves to God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end, eternal life. Once again, there's, a, there's an acknowledgement of God and Paul that it doesn't happen overnight. The fruit of bending our eyes and worship towards the Lord is a progressive life of sanctification, which ultimately leads to eternal life. There, uh, you're serving a master. I just want you to, who is it? Who is it? He closes this way. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus did it. Jesus does it all. Jesus is always the hero. He's saying your wages of your sin is death. You know why they're your wages? Because you've been obediently laboring at them. You're, getting, you're not getting what you deserve. You're getting what you've worked hard to get. God is willing. He is not going to short you one penny of what you have labored in your life to get if that's what you want. You're going to get every single... In fact, the Greek word for wages here is a word used for Roman soldiers for combat pay. It was a kind of pay that could never be garnished. You had to pay them because great sacrifice had been given. That's the kind of pay it is. Your hard-earned sacrificial wages for this master of sin, God is willing, if he's your master, to pay you every single penny of that. If you want to live in the world where you get your wages, they're here to be paid. Or you're invited into a world of a gift through Jesus Christ. And the gift is life. Paul says, are we to sin because we're free from the law? How can you think that, he would say. Don't you know we have one of two masters? We have a master who breathes death in our life, shame in our life, lawlessness upon lawlessness in our life, and we have one who gives us life freely in abundance. You gotta have one of them. Who is it? I'm going to pray. If you'll bow your heads with me, and um, I want you to think. Here's a thinking prayer. So I'm bowing your heads so that you can look in, so that your eyes aren't distracted. Uh, but I want your ears for a second. I want you to observe your life. I want you to honestly ask yourself, what direction are you facing? What, what's the bend of your heart? Okay, let the moments fall away. Let the the evidence and the exhibit A and B of your mistakes, let those fall away for a second and find good heart in the fact that if you're trying to come, if you're reaching for God, to give thanks to God. Because to reach for the Lord, to have a heart of obedience, an obedient heart, leads to a joyful submission to the will of God, which then leads to sanctification, which leads to eternal life. But if, when your feet hit the floor in the morning, 
You are the object of your life. You serve a different master. And so I want to ask this. I want to ask, are there, are there areas in your life? Okay, so given this picture, are there areas in your life now where you'd say, the Lord, the Lord is my master, but this area of my life has not been given? As though the Lord, I'm, I'm a slave 30 hours a week to the Lord, but there's 10 hours a week that belong to this, my other master. And I, I want to I I push you in prayer. I want to push you to respond to the Lord, to say, that leads somewhere. I, we don't need to be overly careful about once saved, always saved, or this or that. I want to challenge you to say, lawlessness leads to greater lawlessness. Impurity begets lawlessness, which leads to lawlessness. And I want to challenge that. I want to say, who's your master? it's my prayer we would be confessional before the Lord and I want to say this to to the long time Christian in the room are there dangerous areas in your life where you've been tempted to walk back I'm saying for you who've been a Christian for 15 years or 20 years or 30 years or 40 years where you've been in the life, in the garden of God long enough that maybe you're beginning to wonder what it looks like on the other side. Maybe, maybe this word just needs to catch you in your tracks to say, are you meandering? Are you meandering? Uh, are you playing with fire? Are you, are you dancing near the ledge? The wages of sin is death gift of God is eternal life, Lord. Lord, we lift our lives up to you. And to the degree that you weigh in on us with your spirit and batter our hearts to submission so that we turn to you, Lord, we pray, we pray like a klaxon that you would do that for us and for our loved ones. Holler at us, Lord. Call us back. Change our hearts. Lord, you desire righteous people. You hear the prayers of righteous people. You work through the lives of righteous people, Lord. We are, we are what we are, Lord, but change us. Lead us to the path of sanctification, which gives over to eternal life, I pray. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.